to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Matthew, chapter 27, verse 46, as we follow along with today's lesson. When he cried, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, The Roman soldiers, not understanding the Hebrew language, when he cried Eli, they thought that he was calling for Elijah. Now, they thought that maybe he had gone into a delirium at this point, calling for Elijah, and uh, thinking that he was in a delirium. One of those that were standing by ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. And in my thirst they gave me vinegar vinegar to drink, he said. But the rest of them said, no, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus then, when he had cried again, With a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. Now, this is a way of describing death, physical death in the Bible. He yielded up the ghost or he yielded up his spirit. That is the separation of a man's spirit from his body. You see, the Bible teaches the real you is spirit. The body is not the real you. The body is just uh, a uh, tent in which you live. One day you're going to move out of the tent. Your spirit is going to be separated from your body. And uh, they will say, well, he's dead. There's no more brain activity, uh, no more brain waves. The EEG is flat. Separation of a man's consciousness or spirit from his body, a definition for death. And, And thus with Jesus, he gave up the spirit that is There was a separation of the spirit from the body. Now only the body is hanging there limp on the cross. The spirit has departed. And as that happened, behold, the veil of the temple was rent or torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks were ripped. The veil in the temple, they say, was 18 inches thick, woven cloth. To tear something like that would be a physical impossibility. It is interesting to me that it was ripped from the top to the bottom, as though God was ripping the veil of the temple. Now the purpose for the veil in the temple was to keep man from coming to God. 
Only the high priest was allowed to go beyond the veil. No one else was allowed into this holy of holies, the place of God's presence, the place of the Shekinah of God, the presence of God. It was forbidden by man to go in. Only the high priest could go in, and that only one day in the year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And that only after many sacrifices. And even then, when he went in, he had a rope tied around his ankle. There were bells on the bottom of his robe. As he went in to stand before God for the sins of the people and the nation for the year, they would listen to the bells on his robe as he was there ministering. If the bells went silent, they knew that he was smitten dead in the presence of God and they would take him, pull him out by the rope. They wouldn't go in to get him because the veil signified there's a separation between God and man. Because of man's sinfulness, he cannot approach the holy God. Now the significance of the veil being torn is that through Jesus Christ, we have access to God. Amazing. He made access unto God. Wherefore, let us come boldly through Jesus Christ to that throne of mercy that we might find grace. And God is demonstrating the door is now open. The way has been made for you and for me, sinful men, to be able to come into the presence of God through Jesus Christ and the blood of the covenant by which he gave himself for our sins. And in Christ now we have access unto the Father. Oh, glorious, blessed privilege that is ours, all made possible through Jesus Christ. The veil of the temple, I love it, ripped from the top to the bottom. Here in verses 52 and 53, we have an interesting um, statement that is really out of place because this happened after his resurrection, but Matthew threw it in here. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and they came out of the graves after his resurrection. So, you see, this event took place not at the crucifixion, but after the resurrection. And they went into the holy city and appeared unto many. The graves are open. Now, Paul tells us in Romans, I mean in Ephesians chapter 4, that he who has ascended into heaven, that is Jesus, is the same one who also, first of all, descended into the lower parts of the earth. And when he ascended, he led the captives from their captivity. You see, the Bible teaches that before the death and resurrection of Jesus, all men who died went into Sheol, the grave, the place of incarceration for disembodied spirits. And we do read in Luke 16 concerning the parable, which was not a parable, the story. There was a certain rich man, and I think we're wrong in calling it a parable, a certain rich man, fared sumptuously every day, the poor man Lazarus being laid at his gate, 
and the rich man died and uh, or the poor man died carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom the rich man also died and in hell lifted up his eyes being in torment seeing Abraham afar off Lazarus there being comforted said father Abraham I pray that you'll send Lazarus that he might take and put his finger in water and touch my tongue for I'm tormented in this heat Abraham said, son, remember you in your lifetime had the good things, Lazarus the evil, now he's comforted while you're tormented. And beside this, there's this gulf that is fixed and it's impossible for those that are on this side to come over there or those that are on that side to come over here. Then I pray thee, if he can't come to me, send him back, let him warn my brothers so that they don't come to this awesome place. Abraham said, they have the law and the prophets. If they won't believe them, they wouldn't believe even if one came back from the dead. So Jesus teaches that this place, Hades, Sheol, was actually in two compartments. One with people of faith being comforted by Abraham. In Hebrews it tells us that these men of faith all died in faith not having received the promise. But seeing it afar off, they embraced it, they held to it, and they claimed they were just strangers and pilgrims. And again he said, they all died in faith, not receiving the promise, God having reserved a better thing for us that they without us could not be made perfect. Now, Jesus came to set at liberty those who were in prison, to open the prison doors to those that are bound and and to set the captives free. So when Jesus died, he went into Sheol, where Abraham was comforting those saints of the Old Testament assuring them that God's word is true and God would keep his word. For Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was assuring them of God's promises that would be kept. And when Jesus came, he preached to those souls that were in prison. And when he rose from the dead, he led the captives from their captivity. And thus the graves of many were open and The saints were seen, some of them even walking in the streets of Jerusalem after his resurrection from the dead. Now when the centurion and those that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things which were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly this was the Son of God. And many women were there, beholding afar off who had followed Jesus from Galilee and ministering unto him. Now when Jesus traveled, there was a company of perhaps 50 to 100 people that traveled with him. His disciples that he had called to be apostles, other disciples were there, many others. Plus, with a group that large, you have to have food and you have to, uh, you know, have a lot of things uh, someone to sew up your robe if you rip it or whatever. And so there were many women who had come from Galilee that traveled with the company. They prepared the food and and they, they were traveling along with them, ministering unto the needs. And uh, it does give us Mary Magdalene, we know of her, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's children. So... Um, This Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, uh, uh, who were the sons of Alphaeus. These are not James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Uh, This Mary is uh, said to be the uh, sister of Mary, the 
mother of Jesus, and uh, thus um, this James is often referred to as James the Less because he was shorter than James the brother of John. Now when the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was one of Jesus' disciples. And he went to Pilate and he begged for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And Mary Magdalene and that other Mary were sitting over against the sepulcher. They, they followed uh, the procession. They watched as Jesus was bound in the linen. They saw him as he was laid in the tomb, and they were there in the shadows watching the events as the stone was rolled over the door of the sepulcher. It is interesting that as Jesus dismissed his spirit going back just a bit, in John he said, I'm the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and I am known of mine. And as the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He gave up the ghost. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes my life from me but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. And this commandment I've received of my Father. And so we find him laying down his life. In a few days we'll find him taking it up again. But this entombment by Joseph of Arimathea, we're told he was a rich man. And we read in Isaiah 53, 9, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence and neither was any deceit in his mouth. Now the next day that followed, the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together to Pilate and they said, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Interesting, they remembered that, but the disciples didn't. Isn't that interesting? They remembered that, but the disciples had forgotten that. After he rose, then they remembered, it says, that he said, after three days I'll rise. But the disciples had forgotten, but they remembered. And they, they said to Pilate, Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead, so that the last error will be worse than the first. Interesting, they admit that it was an error. The first error would be they're putting him to death. Pilate said unto them, and I love this, Pilate's sick of these guys. He, was, he said, you have a guard. Make it as sure as you can. I love that. But <laughs> no matter how many guards they put there, they can't keep Jesus in the grave. Make it as sure as you can. So they went and they made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting up a guard. They did their best, but it wasn't good enough, as we'll find out in the next chapter as we go on into chapter 28. Shall we turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, as tonight we close out 
the gospel according to Matthew. It was the end of the Sabbath day as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. So early Sunday morning before dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and the other Gospels tell us that the other Mary was Mary, the mother of James. They came to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Now as we read the four gospel accounts of this resurrection morning, there does seem to be certain discrepancies in the accounts. Uh, they do not all follow in exact, precise kind of order or even in the recording of the events. This to me, of course, is good proof that there wasn't collusion on the part of the gospel writers. They didn't all get together and agree, well, this is what we will say. But they all recorded the events from their perspective. Now, from Matthew's perspective, he was there. He was a part of the whole procedure. Mark was just a child. And Mark's gospel, they feel, was garnered by Mark's listening to Peter's account. So basically it is accepted that in Mark's gospel you have sort of a view of Peter's uh, kind of uh, viewpoint of the whole events. It is thought that perhaps Mark was the little boy that was in the garden when Jesus was arrested and someone grabbed him and he just uh, wriggled free, left his coat and ran naked from the garden. Mark is the only one that records that and they say he records it because that was his own personal experience and he was throwing that into his gospel. It's the only gospel that records this young boy's um, excitement that night. Luke, of course, came along later. He began to journey with Paul. It is felt that Luke, being a physician, a professional man, came to Jerusalem to interview personally many of the principals who were involved in the stories. It is from Luke that we get great insight into Mary and the announcement of the angel to Mary concerning the fact that she was to bear the Messiah. Luke tells us concerning Elizabeth, uh, the mother of John the Baptist, Zacharias, his father. And it is thought that Luke garnered his information from personal interviews with those who were involved. John wrote many years later 
He left out many of the events that were recorded by the other three gospel writers, for of course he was familiar with what they had written and probably felt that there was no need to repeat it again. And so John gives us a different slant, and we see the life of Christ from a different perspective from John, and the majority of John's gospel is uh, relating to just the last few weeks of the life of Jesus. So that uh, they each one give us their own particular slant as they saw it either through the eyes of Peter or as with Luke through the eyes of those that he interviewed or with Matthew through his personal experience and John through personal experience but writing later and seeking not to duplicate uh, a lot which had already been written. So when you read the four accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, there seems to be some discrepancy in the stories as far as the principals who was there, as I mentioned here, it says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary uh, both Luke and um, Mark tell us that it was Mary, the mother of James. Uh, Mark adds that Salome was also with them. John tells us that Joanna was with them. So that, and then uh, they mention also the other women. So I tried to sort of put together a possible scenario for you. Uh, that would sort of harmonize uh, the various accounts and uh, get rid of the seeming discrepancies. Matthew has Mary Magdalene and the other Mary coming to the tomb. Mark adds the name Salome to the two. Luke speaks of the women, and he speaks of Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. So early in the morning, while it is still dark, these three women make their way towards the tomb. The other women, perhaps coming from another part of the city, will also be coming to the tomb. The purpose is to get to the body of Jesus. As you remember, he was crucified uh, on the day before the Sabbath. And uh, there was a, a lot of hurry-up procedures in taking him from the cross, getting him buried before the Sabbath day began. So they didn't have a real opportunity to uh, put the spices and all on his body. And so it seems that their desire was to come and to uh, wrap spices in the linens uh, and just probably for the last time uh, just touch his body, though now they figured it was um, already lifeless and stiff. So the three women making their way towards the tomb. It could be that Mary Magdalene 
was impatient, in a hurry to get there, and went on ahead. It's quite common when people are walking together for one to walk ahead. If you ever walk with my daughter, Cheryl, uh, it's hard to keep up with her, and I often find her quite a ways ahead. And uh, it is quite possible that Mary Magdalene, in her anxiety to get there, hurried ahead of the others. When she came to the tomb, she saw that it was that the stone was rolled away, and she immediately surmised that they had moved the body of Jesus. And this disturbed her. And so rather than waiting for the other ladies to arrive, she went running off to where Peter and John were staying to inform Peter and John that the stone was rolled away from the tomb. And uh, she, she didn't bother to examine, she just ran to let them know of this change in events. At that point, Peter and John came running to the tomb. But in the meantime, the other two ladies, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, and perhaps the other women coming from another part of the city, arrived at the tomb, and there they saw angels who were there and who said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and then go and tell his disciples that he is risen and he will meet them in Galilee. So these ladies went off to inform the disciples of the angelic message. And in the meantime, Mary, uh, in the meantime, of course, uh, after they had left, Peter and John arrived. They saw the stone rolled away. John stood on the outside, but Peter rushed in, and then John looked in, and they saw the linen clothes that Jesus was wrapped in, and they saw the napkin that was about his head. It was folded and in a separate place by itself. They went off, Peter wondering what all the significance was, but John, in his heart, just believing, the Lord is risen. Then Mary finally gets back to the tomb, probably a little breathless. She had run to tell Peter and John. They came running to the tomb. She couldn't keep up with them. And so she arrives back at the tomb. And this time she looks in and she sees an angel who asks her the question, Woman, why are you crying like that? And she answered, because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him, where they have put him. So she turned away, and she saw Jesus standing there, but in the darkness, and with her eyes filled with tears, she didn't recognize him. But she thought that perhaps he was the gardener. He asked her the same question, woman, why are you crying like that? And she said, if you'll just tell me where you've taken him, I will carry him away. 
And Jesus revealed himself. He said, oh, Mary. She screamed, Rabboni. And she came and got a death grip on him. And he said, Mary, don't cling to me. It's translated, touch me not. But in reality, don't cling to me, but go and tell Peter and John that I'm risen. And the other disciples. So Mary was sent to bring the news directly from Jesus that he had appeared to her that he was risen. Now, Mary went off to let the disciples know, but in the meantime, Jesus then appeared to the other women as they were on their way to let the disciples know. And when they saw Jesus, they came and held him by the feet, and he commanded them to go and tell the disciples that he was risen indeed. And so, looking at the scenario from that perspective, you you get a harmonizing of the four accounts of that resurrection morning, which if you read them and put them together, there seems to be discrepancies, but as I mentioned, the discrepancies are easily solved if you just uh, try and figure the order of these events. And Thus, you have each one adding little special insights uh, from their perspective. There was a great earthquake, we are told in verse 2. And the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. We remember that the day that Jesus was crucified, that there was a great earthquake and the rocks were torn. And uh, that was one of the supernatural phenomena that took place at his crucifixion. It is quite possible that this was a great aftershock of the original quake taking place three days later. The result, of course, was the angel rolling the stone away from the door of the sepulcher, not to let Jesus out, but to let the disciples in so that they might indeed see that the tomb was empty, that the Lord had risen. Concerning the angel, his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. So here's this supernatural being, this angel, rolling away the stone and the guards were shaking for fear of him and laid there like dead men, afraid of him, just lying there like they were dead, hoping that he would think they were dead, perhaps. (laughs) But can you imagine an angel whose face was like lightning, just the brilliance flashing, the white garment rolling back the stone. Now, The guards were there at the request of the Jews. You remember that when Jesus was entombed, they came to Pilate and they said, now this fellow talked about his resurrection. So we want you to seal the tomb and put a guard on duty, lest 
maybe the disciples come and steal the body and make up some story and, you know, it'll really turn out uh, disastrous. Pilate said, you have your own guards. You make it as sure as you can. He would not dispatch the Roman soldiers to this task, but let them put their own guard there. So the angel, verse 5, then answered and said unto the women, which would probably be just Mary, the mother of James and Salome, Fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. I know who you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus, who was crucified, but he's not here. He is risen, and then, as he said, I think that was sort of a just, uh, um, you know, what you're expecting. He said he would do it. And, and it's sort of a, a, a put down in a way because of their unbelief in his word. And he said, go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen. He's risen from the dead and behold, he goes before you into Galilee and there you will see him and I have told you. So... It's more or less, you know, go. I've told you, get going. Uh, And he's going to meet you in Galilee. Now, we do know that that afternoon, Jesus met with Peter. And uh, we are not told much concerning that meeting, but I would imagine that it was one of those Beautiful times of, of, of just um, knowing, letting Peter know that he was forgiven, that the Lord understood, uh, that the Lord knew that he was going to deny him, and uh, there were uh, no hard feelings. There was just forgiveness, and there was understanding. The Bible says that he understands our frame. He knows we're but dust. And and it's it's wonderful to know that the Lord uh, is, is very understanding concerning our weaknesses. He said to Peter, Peter, the spirit indeed is willing, but your flesh is weak. And he understands our frame. He knows we're but dust. Our problem is that we don't understand our frame and we don't know we're dust. We often think we are stronger than we really are. And that is why we are so often disappointed with ourselves. But Jesus had this meeting with Peter, and I think that there was just a lot uh, of um, forgiveness and, and assurances to Peter that afternoon. Later on in the afternoon, he joined the two disciples who were on their way to Emmaus. And uh, then he... Uh, The disciples, the ten of them were gathered. The two came running back from Emmaus to Jerusalem, wanting to tell the others that they had seen Jesus. And when they met, they said, well, you know, Peter saw him too, you know, and Mary and some of the women, they've, they've seen him. 
And while they were there together, the ten of them, suddenly Jesus appeared in the midst, saying, Peace. Thomas happened to be absent. And uh, later when he was told these stories, he um, said, well, I I can't believe until I see it for myself. So about a week later, Jesus appeared again, and this time Thomas was present. And uh, so he then avowed his faith uh, of, of believing, Lord, I believe. But... Then they were to go up to Galilee where Jesus had promised that he would meet them at the Galilee. And this is when they had gone up and Jesus hadn't shown up uh, immediately. And Peter then said, well, I'm going fishing. And six others said, we'll go with you. And they fished all night and caught nothing. Last chapter of John's gospel. Then they came back again to Jerusalem. And they were with Jesus on the Mount of Olives near Bethany when he ascended into heaven. So for a 40-day period, both around Jerusalem and then later up in the Galilee, to groups, to individuals, and uh, to a large multitude of 500, Jesus was appearing over this period of time, not constantly with them, but suddenly appearing to them. When he appeared to them the week after the resurrection, when Thomas was present, who had expressed his doubts that I will not believe until I can put my finger into his hand and thrust my hand into his side. When Jesus appeared to them, he then said, he turned to Thomas and said, okay, Thomas, you wanted to? Go ahead and put your finger here in my hand. Go ahead and touch my side. See if it isn't me. And Thomas cried, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, well, blessed are they who see and believe, but more blessed are they who believe without seeing. Now, the, the interesting thing is that When Thomas was saying, I won't believe unless I can put my finger, Jesus was there. He heard Thomas's expressions of doubt. That's why, and he he demonstrated the fact. When he saw Thomas, he said, okay, Thomas, you want to do it? Go ahead. And, And it was a manifestation of the fact that Jesus was there with him. Now, it seems that Thomas wasn't the only one doubting. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus were rebuked by Jesus for their doubting. In fact, they had received the message of the ladies that they had seen Jesus. But here they were on their way to Emmaus and they were downcast and and just walking along, just, you know, down in the dumps and Jesus approached them and said, Hey, fellas, What's wrong that you seem to be so sad as you're walking along? They said, are you a stranger around here? You don't know what's been going on? He says, what are you talking about? Well, uh, there was a man by the name of Jesus. He was from Nazareth. And he went around doing good, and we had hoped in him for the salvation of Israel, but they crucified him three days ago. 
This is the third day. Some of the women of our company said that they saw him this morning, you know, but and but they were they were doubtful of the women's story. And so Jesus began to open the scriptures to them, but he rebuked them. Oh, slow of heart to believe. He rebuked them for their doubtings. So for 40 days he was appearing. Suddenly, without without forewarning, he would be there in the midst. I think that his purpose was to get them accustomed to the realization that he was with them as he said he would be. He was with them even though they could not see him to get them aware of the fact that the Lord is here. He had said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be there in the midst. And and so it was sort of a little training session during this 40 days as he was suddenly appearing and showing himself. And, And it was getting them acclimated to the realization that the Lord is here even though we can't see him. And that's exactly the kind of consciousness that he wants us to have. He wants us to be conscious of his presence, though we may not see him with our physical eyes, to become accustomed to the fact that the Lord is with his people. The Lord is with us tonight. He is here. He wants us to be aware of that. And I think one of our great problems is the lack of the consciousness of the presence of the Lord with us. I think that if we could only develop that kind of consciousness that the Lord is here with us. He is with us in every situation. He knows our doubts and our misgivings. And and we need to become aware and conscious of the Lord's presence. So he was instructing them that he would meet them in the Galilee And as they went to tell the disciples, these women, Jesus met them and said, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Now, it's interesting to Mary Magdalene, he said, Don't touch me or don't cling to me. But here the women are holding on to his feet and worshipping him. Then Jesus said unto them, Be not afraid. Go and tell my brothers that they go into Galilee, and there they will see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch, those men who were guards, who were uh, placed there to guard the tomb, they came into the city, Now, the tomb evidently was outside of the city, as was the place of the crucifixion. We know that uh, the place of the crucifixion was outside of the city. So was the place of entombment. And it is revealed here, they came into the city. And they showed unto the chief priest all of the things that were done. They, They related their story. 
And when the chief priest assembled the elders together, they took counsel and they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, we want you to pass around the story that his disciples came at night and stole the body while you were asleep. So they bribed them uh, to tell this lie. We fell asleep on duty. Now the punishment for that should have been death. If uh, you were a guard and your prisoner escaped as a result of your negligence, uh, you were put to death. So they, however, bribed them and told them to pass along this story that the disciples came and stole the body. And they said, if the governor happens to hear about this, we will persuade him and we will secure you. So if this story comes back to Pilate, don't worry, we'll, we'll cover for you. We'll take care of it. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. In other words, that, that became the accepted story among the Jews that um, the disciples stole the body of Jesus. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had designated that they should meet him. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now, this is probably a reference to Thomas. <laughs> Wouldn't it be tragic to pick up the title of Doubting Thomas? <laughs> I mean, to be known for your doubts. <laughs> to let that be the... Uh, special earmark uh, by which you are designated. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. God has put all things in subjection, the scripture says, unto him. All power has been given to him. We are told that Jesus is the creator, the creator of the universe. He not only is the creator of the universe, he is the sustainer of the universe. By him all things are held together or consist or co cohere. He's the cohesive force holding the whole material world in from disintegrating. Now it is interesting, and as we pointed out this morning, in the nucleus of an atom, these protons are tightly clustered, but it is the natural characteristic of protons to repel, like poles repel. We have learned how to bombard the nucleus of an atom with slow-moving neutrons that, ex that disturb and upset the molecular balance of the atom, 
causing these atomic explosions and the tremendous energy and power that is released when, when the atoms act according to their natural characteristic, the positive uh, charges being upset so that they do repel each other and as they repel this tremendous blast of energy. Jesus is holding the material world together. One day he's going to relax. Peter tells us that this whole universe is going to go up, that it's going to be dissolved, it will melt with a fervent heat. One big, (laughs) gigantic atomic explosion the Big Bang is not past, it's future. It's going to happen. <laughs> when the Lord releases the atoms and the protons repel each other and the whole universe dissolved, melting with a fervent heat, and God then to create new heavens and a new earth. What it will be like, we really don't know. We just have to wait and find out. But all power, he said, is given to me in heaven and in earth. Awesome. Uh, We can't possibly even imagine the scope of this statement. All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Creative powers. Powers in the material universe that are greater than anything that man knows or understands. But not only in the physical, in heaven and in earth. So the powers of the spirit realm, the heavenly realm, and uh, all principalities and powers and all subject unto him, power over it all. And thus he said to them, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Their task, their commission of the Lord was to go out into the world and teach all nations, teaching them to observe the things that I have commanded you. So the mission of the church is to carry the message of Jesus to the world to carry to them the teachings which basically summed up is that the spirit realm is far superior to the physical realm. That that which belongs to the physical realm is in the realm of death. The spirit realm is life. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Matthew in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on the power of Jesus. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Matthew 27 through 28 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. 
You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you again that Jesus Christ has made the way whereby we can come. Come to your throne of mercy to find grace. That Jesus Christ our Lord has opened up the door, the door to heaven's gate. When he died on the cross to redeem all the lost, he prepared a way that leads to his abode. It's a way that's marked by blood, but it leads us safely home. Lord, how blessed we are. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, our Jesus. And Lord, we are so thankful, we're so grateful that you were willing to bear the shame, the mockery, the jeering, the scorn, the suffering that you might forgive us our sins, that you might make us children of God, that you might adopt us into the family of God, giving us all of the privileges of being children of God. Thank you, Lord for washing and cleansing us from our guilt. May we never, never forget what you've done for us. Just keep us, Lord, near the cross. And may we ever glory in what you wrought for us when you gave your life as a ransom for all. In Jesus' name, amen. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Have you ever thought about this simple phrase, God loves you? This just might be the most important truth you could ever grasp, that God has called you into a loving relationship with himself. Unfortunately, many of us have been brought up to think that we need to earn God's love. In Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Pastor Chuck imparts years of wisdom from his own experiences, how he thought he had to work hard and deny his own desires for God to love him. But when he unlocked the secret to God's grace, this changed.
changed everything. Come alongside Pastor Chuck to discover an astonishing truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's not based upon your works, but based upon God's love for you. It's true. Grace changes everything. To find out more and to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673. 